Father, as you surrounded our homes this week with your very breath to let us know that you are still alive, we had no doubt, but the world needed to know. And that you were at our house visiting and watching over us. We thank you and praise you. There's no, no other people who try to claim that there is a different God has a God like you. You are the only true and living God. And everyone that's gathered together here in this place is here to worship you. And their whole desire is to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, we pray that that worship and that that spirit and truth is evident in all that we do. And we pray that it's acceptable in your sight. We pray that our worship exalts you, promotes you to the rightful place that you have as our creator and life sustainer. And Father, as we break this bread of life today, there's nothing more important than the word of God in our lives. And this very parable not, well, it's not a parable, it's an, actual, it's an actual event. This actual event that happened on a mount 2,000 years ago with your son was written for our learning, for our sustenance, for our own faith building. And so, Father, may your word be made evident and clear this day. May your Holy Spirit clear out our minds and our hearts and help us to understand what you want us to know today from this. What we can take away with us, Father. And I'm, I'm going to let people know right now that this is a two-part story, so they've got to come back next week for the second part. And they'll bring somebody with them, Father, because that's what we do. And so, Father, we pray that our worship is acceptable. We pray that you will bless it now and anoint us with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, John chapter 6. One of the most memorable events miracles that our lord jesus christ did while he was alive and upon this earth john chapter 6 as a background while you're going there the lord if you look at these other accounts that we put up there today if you if you uh if you'd look at matthew 14 and mark 6 and i think it's around luke uh 9 as well um the lord had just sent the 12 out on a mission that they were supposed to to go out and to to preach the word and he had given them authority over different things and so he had sent them out and while they had been out he found out that his cousin John the baptizer that he had been beheaded for preaching the truth by Herod and so all of this news started coming into him and then the disciples came back and they were sharing the good news of of the, the missionary journey that they had been on. And he was like, that's awesome. He shared with them about John, and then he was like, we need a moment. Man, you guys need a moment to take a break from what you've been doing and what you've been facing, and I need a moment. But you know what? He'd been doing so many works, and the fame had been spreading so much that the people just followed him. He tried to get away. He got on the boat, and he crossed over and he climbed up a mountain, but he looked, and here come the people. They were all just still following him. And so the other version says that he looked upon them with compassion, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he, he, he started greeting them as they came in. And so that's where we're at in John chapter 6, if you want to turn there and, and follow along. Uh, I'm going to read the entire story, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to pick it apart and unpack this thing. 
So after these things, and that's what we just talked about, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And when he did, a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he had performed on those who had been diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And lo, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he saw the great multitude that was coming toward him. And he said to Philip, With whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said in order to test Philip. For he himself, Jesus, knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him and said, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, even for every one of them to have only a little bit. So one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. There was much grass in that place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and then he gave thanks to them, and he distributed them to the disciples, who then distributed to those who were sitting down, and likewise the fish, as much as they wanted. And so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets full with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men who had seen these things that Jesus did said, This is truly that prophet that is coming into the world. Lord, Father, I pray that you bless this reading of your word. And I pray that we grasp a true meaning of what's going on in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember reading this story as a kid. I think I even was told it in um, weekday religious education as one of those things that they wanted to, to show you so that, that you would understand that. You know what I always thought about? I could never get my head wrapped around how... The Lord did that. I mean, how do you take a piece of bread or a piece of fish? I mean, there was only two small, and I mean, Andrew makes it clear it was small pieces of fish. How do you take a small piece of a fish and break it in half, and it's still there? And you keep breaking it off so that everyone eats. I could never get my head around that. I want to see that. I'll, I'll, I'll share with you one of my dreams is that whenever we make it into that heavenly realm, I would love to spend the first half of it. You know, they have those IMAX theaters and stuff, and, and, you know, we got like 4D type things now. I would love to just see everything that had happened in the Bible reenacted on a big screen for us so that we can see everything that happened by those people that did. And we could go, way to go, Moses. And, Way to go, Jeremiah, that was awesome. But when the Lord would do that, I want to see how that happened. How he was able to separate those, but it was still there. And they kept feeding them and feeding them. And I've never been able to figure that one out. What a miracle this is. 
But speaking of miracles, why are they even written? Why are they here for us? Well, there's many reasons, but I'll give you two big ones. There's two big reasons that miracles are there. First, they're there to represent who and what Jesus is, who and what God is, and so that those who do not believe will have an opportunity to believe. They will have something that they can lay as a concrete witness that he is the Son of God. Um, that is the first one. And I looked up what a miracle is, and it says something that cannot be explained or duplicated by any natural or scientific means. It's therefore a supernatural event done by a supernatural agency. And so this is a supernatural force that was being done but that, that overrides any natural laws of nature or any, anything that we could think of that's, that's in this realm. And uh, so I cannot replicate breaking that fish in half and feeding 5,000 people. So this is a true miracle. And oh, by the way, it wasn't just 5,000 people because the, the scriptures are very clear that it was men. It, it's Anar in the language. And then whenever it talks about all of the, the men later that were sitting around, that's anthropos. So that means people. So instead, they should have titled it men only on the first one at 5,000. And then those that were seated and gathered around, it should have been the rest of the people because it's two separate words. So it was exactly about, it says, 5,000 men plus the women and children. We knew there's children because it's going to be a lad that brings his lunch that the Lord's going to use. And so you're looking at ten to 20,000 people that came up there to be fed. That's a whole lot of folk. So I can't imagine it whenever the Lord starts asking Philip, how are you going to feed them? Where are you going to buy some food for these cats? I, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you in a minute, he was stumbling over his words. He was kind of stuttering a little bit. Uh, I would have too. But this is a divine miracle. Just like Nicodemus, you remember when he came to Jesus at night, he said, I've, we've come to find out who you are because no one can do the things that you do unless he be of God. So that is one of the purpose of these miracles to show that Jesus was of God. And that's who he is. He's the son of God. But it also, the second part of what miracles is for is to develop faith in you and I, the believers. You see, his disciples are there with him right now. And we're going to find out that they're not yet believing on him either in everything that he can do. And I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. But the other thing about miracles is it's for us. I mean, what gives us a deeper faith in the word of God and a trust? is when we get in a bind and we pray for something and he delivers us, what's that do? It builds your faith. And then it keeps building and building. And the more faith you build, the more you begin to trust, then the more the Lord can do, and then the more you do. So it's a synergism of building a faith and a trust. So miracles are to bring those who do not believe into a belief. And it's to bring us who do believe into a closer relationship, into a fuller trust into him and his word and what he can do for us. So that's what it's for. Now, if we look at this next slide, the writer of this very record, the Gospel of John, even declares that that's what this is written for. John twenty thirty says, Truly, 
Jesus did many other signs, even than the ones recorded in this book in the presence of his disciples, that are not written. But these things are written here for a purpose, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. So there is the purpose of every bit of the word of God. Every page from Genesis 1 where it says in a beginning God. That's in the plural form Elohim for God. So Jesus Christ was involved the Father, Son and Holy Spirit together in the speaking of this world into existence. And every page he said reflects on me. He told those Pharisees and scribes. He said you study the scriptures for in them you think you might find life eternal. He said but every page speaks of me. So every bit speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ so that we might believe in him. And by believing in him, we might have life in his name. Now, that's a powerful scripture that he is the son of God. And that's why he's doing these things. These are his calling card that he's leaving. Here's my card. Look, I'm the son of God. And it's for the benefit of us to build up that faith. So when we read these things and when we come together and listen and study these things out of the word of God, it should be building up our faith. That's the whole purpose. The faith in belief that the Lord Jesus Christ and that everything in that book is real. When you look at all of those promises and all of those miracles from Genesis to Revelation, do you believe them? And do you believe that they are real? And do you believe that you same, serve the same God that was the same yesterday, today, and forever? Then that same God is working with you that he worked in here. And that's why these things are written. So that we might be unmovable in an edification complex of our souls that it begins to build up. So with that, Jesus, this whole thing, I'm going to give you a little hint. This, this whole set of events here that's going to happen and next week we're going to look at the walking on the water that goes hand in hand with this the whole purpose of this test because it says Jesus said this to Philip in order to test him because he already knew what he was going to do you see many times problems difficulties hopeless situations seem to appear in our life and in the life of the ones we love. Are you going to look at that event through the eyes of human viewpoint or through the eyes of divine viewpoint? And that's what this lesson is all about today. How are you going to view things? So let's take a look at it then and unpack this with that being what we think he's wanting to get across. Jesus wants to find out not only where his disciples are in their walk with him. They've been with him for a while now. Where are they at in their development of growing in the grace and the knowledge of who and what he is right now? So he's going to present a test to find out exactly where they are in this walk. And that's what he's wanting to find out. So same thing with us. When we're presented with it, he wants to know where are we at in our walk with him as well. How much have we matured? So let's go back to verse 1. And let's take a look at this. So after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And I'll tell you, that was because they was trying to uh, 
snuggle up to the rulers. They wanted some different things, and they figured that they had to uh, be kind unto Tiberius Caesar uh, in order to get some gains from him. So they started calling the Sea of Galilee the Sea of Tiberius after him, and they're like, ooh, we named the sea after you. You got to start giving us you know, some extra different money and, and uh, subsidies, kind of like what people try to do with the government today. So the, it's a Sea of Galilee. And a great multitude followed him because they had saw the signs, and there was many who were diseased, and he had, he had healed them. So Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And after these things refer, like we said, he sent out the apostles they, they had went and done their ministry. He had heard about John the Baptist. He had healed some people. All of this was going on. And after that, he needed a break. So he was trying to get away from them. They got on the boat and crossed the sea. And they continued to follow him. One of the versions says that they were even trying to run on up ahead of him to, to make sure they didn't lose track of where he was going. And one of the reasons is, is they had folks that they wanted healed of certain things. But the other folks wanted to see the healings. They don't have television, radio, magazines, entertainment. This is big stuff. I mean, if, I mean think of today with all the entertainment we have, that if someone was actually doing this, there's the folks who claim they can do that still pack auditoriums, don't they? So nothing has changed in the idea of the way people handle something like this. They wanted to go see who this is. If so, I got something to talk about for years if I actually see that. So Jesus goes to the top of the mountain with the disciples to get away. And here come the people. I mean, at first it was a few, and then it was a hundred, and then it started getting into the hundreds and thousands. And in verse 4, it says that the Passover was near. You all remember the teaching of the Passover? Who, who and what that's about? You know, that started in Exodus chapter 12. And that was whenever they killed the Passover lamb and put the blood on the doorposts and the lintels. And the Lord said, or God told him, Moses to tell him that whoever is in the house that has the blood upon the doorpost, the angel of death will pass over them. And from that point on, it became a feast of the Lord. And, and in Leviticus, it says that this is a feast of the Lord, the Passover is, and here's how you're going to do it, and here's what it's going to be about. So the Passover is near. Wait a minute. The Passover, Jesus is the Lamb of God, right? If the Passover, which speaks everything about who and what he is, that he is coming, where would you expect Jesus to be? You'd expect him to be heading to the Passover, wouldn't you? Man, this all speaks about me. I need to go to Jerusalem. That they're supposed to go. He's not there, though, is he? You know what? Where he's at is almost exact opposite of where he's supposed to be. You know why? Because in Leviticus 23, 4, it says that the feast shall be called the feast of the Lord. What's the Holy Spirit drop a little bomb on us now? What, what's it called now? Feast of the Jews. You know what that means? Worship has become all about the people instead of all about the Christ. That couldn't happen today, could it? No, churches and worship wouldn't start being all about us instead of all about worshiping the God who created us and the Son who went to the cross for us. 
Oh, I didn't like the way that worked out today. That message stunk. I didn't like that song Ray played. I, it, the, the, I know that you guys don't do this. I, truly, I know. And I'm, not, I'm just saying what happens in other places. Because I know, hey, I know you guys. And I hear you guys every week. And I love you all. And I know that this isn't you. I'm just saying, out in the world, what do you find whenever you go to those big places? It's always about us and our entertainment and our comfort and the things we want when it's all supposed to be about the Lord Jesus Christ and worshiping God. It's supposed to be all about that, and the communion is the high point of that when we commune with him. Now, is Jesus where the religious folks who have made it all about them and honoring them, is Jesus anywhere near that noise? What's he doing? He's he's in the opposite place. He's preaching, and he's getting ready to have his own feast of the Lord up here with five loaves and two fishes. He's the bread of life. And while they're doing an imitation down there that no longer is about him, he's up here with those who were seeking him. The folks are down there. They weren't seeking him. They're seeking self. But he goes up to a mountain into a deserted place like a cornfield. And the folks that are seeking him and his word, they're coming to see him for who and what he is. And so he's going to be with them and he's going to start giving them teaching and the bread of life. So anyway, enough. I've, I've pestered that enough now. Let's, let's go back. He, he, he says about those people who make it all about themselves and about comfort and those leaders who do that and those who preach those kind of things. That's why I'm so careful not to. I don't want to be caught up in something like this because... It leads folks on the trail to hell. And you say, boy, that's a little strong of you, Daryl. Well, I'm only quoting my Lord. Look what he says. To the religious folks, I want you to know that scribes were the ones who, who wrote down the law and transcribed every word exactly the way it's supposed to be because they didn't have printing presses. They wrote the word out. The Pharisees are the religious folks. They went to the temple three times a day to pray. These were the ones that says, I am so righteous, Lord, but look at those folks out there. What does he say to those kind of folks? Look, Matthew 23, 13 through 15, he says, Woe unto you religious folks, the scribes, the Pharisees, you are hypocrites. You shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, and you're not even going there yourselves. When you teach falsely, you're leading others in the wrong direction and yourself whenever you do that. Neither are you going to allow them to go in. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. You take from the widows their, their houses for a pretense. You make long prayers to pretend like that you are something special. Therefore, you shall receive greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites. You will go across land and sea to make one proselyte or one convert into your religion. And when you have made him, you make him a twofold more child of hell than yourselves. See, that's the words of the Lord, not mine. That's how he looks upon those who are turning it into a feast of the Jews 
instead of the feast of the Lord. And he, he gives a few more scourging words in his discourse to him. And at the end, in verse 33, he said, Ye serpents, you generations of vipers, how shall you escape the damnation of hell? That's why we gather together to worship in spirit and in truth, isn't it? That is our whole desire and nothing more. So most places are still all about themselves. So I would expect Jesus, he's not there. He is on the mountaintop with those who are seeking him and coming to see him. And that is a contrast. And it's also a contrast that he's having his feast with them versus the feast that was going on down there. So back now in verse 5. As Jesus is sitting there and those who are seeking him are coming up the mountain towards him, he looks and he sees the great multitude that's following him. Got to laugh. This is John 6. In John 4, he meets the woman at the well. And we talked about her a few years ago. But at the woman of the well, when he's having that discussion, if you remember, Sychar was up on top of a mountain and she went up and brought the people down to him. Two chapters later, he went up and the people are being brought up to him. So it don't matter if you're up on the mountain or you're down in the valley, you can still go and seek Jesus. So he's up there and he looks out and he sees that this great multitude is following him. They're, they're desperate for some kind of relief in their life. They need something. And so they are seeking him. And it says that when they were seated... Matthew 14's version will tell you in 14.4 that, that he seated them and that he taught them and he had pity on them and healed their sick. And in Mark 6, this same event says that he saw them. He had pity upon them. They had ran to catch up with them and they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he taught them. Leroy? Timmy? I know you remember when you would help at the pantry when it was on Friday instead of Sunday. What did we do to the folks before they went and, and went through the line? What, were, what did we do? Yeah, sit down over here. Everybody, we'll wait till everybody's here. We're getting ready to start. And I'd always tell them, before you get your physical food, you're going to get your manna from heaven. You're going to get some spiritual food first. Jesus didn't just start breaking bread. The other versions of this, this event says that he first, he saw them, he had pity on them. He knew they were going to be hungry, but he taught them the word of God first. I want to ask you something. What's more important, your physical body or your eternal soul? Amen. And so he takes care of first things first. The first thing is, is taking care of the soul. And he taught them the word of God. And he taught them a long time. Because both versions said that by the time he got done teaching, it was late. And the other disciples were saying, when he started to say, wherewith are we going to buy to feed these folks? Because it's too late to send them home. You know what the disciples said? Yeah, in the other versions he said, send them away. Tell them to go down into the villages and the places down there and go buy for themselves. That kind of sounds like the, the ten virgins. Remember that? Five had oil, five didn't. And they said, go buy for yourselves. <laughs> you know, there's not enough for me and you. So that's, that's what they had told them. 
And so, but Jesus kept asking him, no, in, in, in Matthew, I think it is, he says, no, there's no need to send them away. How are you going to provide for them? Wow. So that's where we get in verse 6. Then it's towards the end of the day now when you look at the rest of them. He's taught them all day. He greeted them coming up. It was pros. So whenever they were coming up the mountain, he was greeting them and talking to them, telling them, get them set down, you know, have them to get ready. And then he taught them all day long. And then at the end, he'd been saying, because when it says that he said unto Philip, it, it's in a present tense. And when he saw the multitude coming as a present tense, he kept saying to Philip, present tense. So in other words, as the, they didn't all arrive 10, 20,000 in five minutes. They kept coming. You know, they're walking. There's some that can't walk as fast as others. There's some that has to be pushed and carried. So they kept coming. And as they kept coming up the mountain, he kept greeting them. And he kept saying to Philip, how are you going to feed these guys? And, you know, Philip's sitting there trying to calculate. We find out he's a mathematician. So Philip is looking at this, and Jesus is going, hey, how are we going to feed these folks? And high out, you know, sit over there. And so as they're all coming up, he keeps asking him as they keep coming. And at first it was hundreds, and then it's thousands, and now it's tens of thousands. And finally Jesus says, whence are you going to solve this dilemma? Are you... What Jesus wants to know is when you get in a bind, are you looking at it through your own eyes and human viewpoint, or are you looking about who and what he is and how he's going to handle your situation for you? So that's what he's really going after. How are you going to handle this? Have, how long have you been with me and what have you learned so far yet? I want to test you. So he said, Philip's like, Lord, there ain't no Chick-fil-A here. There, the... There ain't even a Walmart. You know, this is 2,000 years ago. This is a, it says in Matthew and Mark that it was a deserted place. So there's nothing. What do you mean us to go buy something? And so now he's, he didn't have a calculator, so he's trying to carry the one and keep adding some things. And it looks around finally in verse 7, Philip answered and said, Lord, 200 denarii wouldn't even be enough money to buy enough bread that even everyone could have a morsel, a crumb. We couldn't even provide that. And you think, well, 200 denarii, some versions call it a penny or a pence, but you know what it was? If you look in the parable of the people who were being hired at the different hours, a denarii is a day's wage. So that, that's four-fifths of a year's salary, 200 of those. So you start, I just took, I keep seeing all these signs everywhere, help wanted. Starting out, I, I've seen them anywhere from um, 13 or 14 all the way up to 20-some dollars an hour. So let's just do a round number like $15 an hour. I've seen a lot of them that says starting out, uh, Walmart is starting out at $15 an hour. So you take $15 an hour, you take it times an eight-hour day, and then you take it times 200 days, You've got $24,000. Yeah, you do. And so all of a sudden, his little mind just gets blown. And he says, Lord, we ain't got a bank account like this. We don't have $24,000, which would only be enough to provide a crumb, a morsel for this many people. So how are we even going to feed them? And then they was like, let's just send them away and let them go take care of themselves in the other versions. And, he, and Jesus said, no. So in other words, he's saying it's a what? Hopeless situation. 
When you get backed up into a hopeless situation, are you looking at it through your own eyes or the eyes of the word of God? He flunks the test. 200 denarii. I don't have enough money to get me out of the situation I'm in. So then, there's Matthew 14 and 15 that says that it's a deserted place and the hour is late. Go let them fend for themselves in the, in the villages. So now, instead of doing the math, we got another disciple that's standing around. His name's Andrew. And I love Andrew. He was really the first one that followed Jesus. If you go look in John, it says that he was standing next to John the baptizer when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And it says two of John's disciples heard that and went and followed Jesus. And one of them was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. You know what I love about Andrew? First of all, he never gets any credit for himself. He's always Simon Peter's brother anytime he's in the scripture. So he never gets any credit for himself, which is a good thing. And the second thing is, he's always bringing somebody to Christ. He brought his brother. He's bringing others. Here he brings a little lad. And he's going to be standing there and he says, Lord, we may not have enough money. I didn't do calculations. I look by empirical type things. I, I look and I, I search and see and I try to figure out things by knowledge and wisdom. And I've looked all around and there's only one person that brought a lunch and it's this lad that I've brought to you. And he's got five barley loaves and two small fishes. And then you know what he says next? But, yeah, what are they among so many? Human viewpoint or divine viewpoint? We ain't changed, have we? <laughs> I mean, that's the same thing we'd be doing. Do we have that much faith to just start saying, Lord, I know you're going to provide, so let's, let's see what you're going to do. So he says, what are they among so many? So whenever folks are in, find themselves in a hopeless situation and they're not yet ready to turn fully unto the Lord, you know what the Lord does? He puts us busy doing something for a minute. So he turns them into ushers. And he says, just start getting the people there in groups. And get them sitting on the grass. And I'm going to put you to work for a minute. And so then maybe you'll be ready to watch what I'm going to do. So they start ushering the people around. But I'm sure it frustrated them a little bit. Because you know what the Lord, when he kept asking Philip, how are you going to pay him? From whence are you going to get the money? You know what answer he was really looking for? He was looking for Philip to say, Lord, I was with you. Whenever we went through Cana of Galilee and there was a wedding feast and they ran out of wine and your mama was there and I didn't see her get all excited. She, it, it seems like she was the maitre d' of the party. She was the one that said, hey, they're out. You need to do something for us, son. She didn't go falling apart. She didn't get all anxious and fear and, and worry. She went to Jesus and she said, do something about it. And then she turned to the other folks and says, whatever he says, that's the word of God, whatever he says do, you do it. Well, what's he told us? Cast all your cares and burdens on me because I care about you. All things are going to work together for good to those that love the Lord. I will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on me because they trust me. Trust ye in the Lord God forever. 
Listen to him. That's the answer he's looking for. I saw you when the wine ran out. Tell him to go get those six firkins or six big bottles of purification. They each one of them had 27 gallons, and I saw you make over 120 gallons of the best wine that ever happened out of water. I saw you in Mark chapter 2, whenever you walked into the place of worship, the synagogue, I saw the man with a demon fall down in front of you and say, what have you to do with me before my time? And I saw you say, get out of the man. And he came out. And I saw you heal all the people, the reason that they're following you. And I saw all the miracles that you've done up to this point. And Lord, it ain't about what I'm going to do. It's about what you're going to do. I want to see you in action. I want to see how you're going to solve my problem. And I'm going to sit back and wait on you. That's the answer he was looking for. And he got 200 days wages won't even buy him. And then he gets five loaves and two fishes. What are they among so many? Tell the people to sit down. Go out there and just watch then. What you should have asked me to do to take care of the situation for you, I'm going to make you sit down and watch so that you will get the picture again. So he sets them all down. And then the next thing that he does, I know that that answer would have been what he wanted to hear and it would have been music to his ears. How do I know? Because there was one who did it one time, didn't he? Give me my next slide, uh, Gary. Yeah, Matthew 8. When Jesus had went to Capernaum, you remember this time the centurion came to him? And he said, man, I've got somebody that's sick. My servant's at home, paralyzed. He's tormented. Jesus said to him, I'll come and heal him for you. You remember what the centurion said? He said, Lord, you don't have to do that. I myself am a man of authority, and I tell people to come, and they come. I tell people to go, they go. I say, you do it, and they do it. You dig, you dig the hoe, if you've ever been there in the, in the military, you dig the hoe, and when the hoes dig, fill it back up. I'm a man of authority, and when I tell them to do it, they do it. I know that you have authority over this situation, and all you got to do is say the word. I am not worthy of you to even set foot under the roof of my house. But I know who and what you are. And do you know what Jesus said about that kind of faith? Look at what he said. Verse 10 up there. When Jesus heard what the man said, he marveled. That makes me weep. A faith like that. Amen. He's only looking for, I'm glad you brought that up, Ray, because I did not put this in the lesson, but I should have because I thought of it at the time. The little boy had what? Five loaves and two small. That's, that's a mustard seed faith. That, what, the, what the boy brought was what Jesus had been teaching them about a mustard seed faith. And they didn't even have the faith of a mustard seed to grow up on yet. They brought such a little bit. When we have the type of faith that says, Lord, this is way above my pay grade. This is yours. And I am turning this over to you. And I can't wait to see what you do. I know you can do it. 
All you got to do is say the word. You've got, what did he say in, in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 when he said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and tell this good news and he that is baptized in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit uh, shall, shall be saved. He, he said, I have all authority. This man said, I know you have authority over that. He's got all authority. And he said, you don't even have to come under my roof. And it made the Son of God marvel. It shook him. And he said, I have not seen any faith like this. No, not in all Israel. It took a Roman, pagan, centurion, army person to have the type of faith that Jesus looked for. And it made him marvel. And the only thing he was looking for was, I know you can handle my problem. I can't. That's what he wanted to hear here. And they were saying, I can't handle my problem. Send them away. So, have, what he's seeking is, have you learned anything yet? Every time you've read the Bible, every time you've gathered together and, and heard on Sunday someone talk about the word of God, has any of it landed in your basket yet? Has any of it landed in something you can take it home with you and apply to your life? I mean, we're here each week. We, we're supposed to do it on our own. There's a purpose for it so that we will use it in our life and it will become what we trust in. If not, why are we even going through the motions if it doesn't mean anything to us and it never sticks? Well, I want you to keep coming anyway because one day it's going to stick. That's why we keep doing it, because it, it runs off my back like a water off a duck's back too a lot of times, and, and I go to Panic Palace a lot and stood up to the Lord first. And it's usually after I'm in Panic Palace for a while that I remember to get on my knees instead of uh, thinking that I have to handle the situation by my own reasoning. So going to the next slide, we got ushers. He's, he makes some ushers, and in verse 10, he says a command, make them sit down. And there's a lot of grass in the place, and the number of men, Anar, men only, was 5,000. And he took the loaves. You know what the loaves represent? You know what bread represents in the Word of God? Bible. It represents doctrine, the Word of God. You know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, which is the, the bread of God, the manna from heaven. That's what we live by. So now... This whole thing is representing about their faith, which was a lack of, but what we should have. And so now he's going to give them some more bread, everybody some bread. He'd been teaching them, but now he's going to give them some, some bread that's representing more of the word of God for their lives. And so he, he gets the loaves, and it says he gave thanks. You know, it doesn't say what he said when he gave thanks. You all give thanks before you eat. Usually it's something like, you know, Father, thank you for this food. Pray that it nourishes and strengthens us and that you can use us. And thank you for providing it in Jesus' name. You know what I think Jesus prayed? He might have prayed some of that. But you know what else I think he probably said? Can't prove it, but I got a biblical example for it. How about something like this? You remember a few chapters to come in, in there in John chapter 11. Lazarus is in a tomb. He's been dead for three days. 
He says, I'm going to go open up that door. And they're like, oh, no. His sister said, no, Lord, he can't do that. You know, he, he probably stinketh by now. I, we don't want that to happen. And he weeps because of everybody weeping and because of the situation, but also because no one's still believing in him and what he can do. And so before he speaks the words Lazarus out, which is the literal translation, it is Lazarus out. I heard someone say that he had to say Lazarus first because if he had just said out, all of the graves would have opened up. So he had to watch himself. He had to say Lazarus out. Before he did that, you know what he said? He says he prayed. And he lifted his eyes up to heaven. And he said, Father, I thank you for hearing me and what I have to say. But I am praying to you now, not because I don't believe in you, because you know that I do. And you know that I know what you're getting ready to do. But I am praying this to you for what is about to happen so that everyone that is standing here with me will believe in you and me as your son. So whenever he gives thanks for these loaves and this bread of life that he's getting ready to give them, to take home with them, I think he might have said that too. Father, as I, as I ask you to bless this food, I pray that you'll open up their understandings. I'm asking you this, not for my sake, but theirs, so that they will believe that I am able to do this through your power and who you are, and it will become something that they begin to rely on in their lives as, as well. That's what I think that he may have prayed from what he prayed whenever Lazarus came out of the ground. So he, he blessed it, and then he started doing that miracle thing that I can't wrap my head around. He started passing it out, but it was still there. Passing it out, the disciples would break, and it's still there. You know what that means? What he gives to us, we give to those who are not yet followers, and it never runs out. We give the same word that he gives us. He magnifies it out to the world through us. And so as they're doing that, it never ran out. It kept going and going. And I want you to say that, it, that the verses there say two different things. First, it says they ate all that they wanted. And then the next verse says that they were filled, which is a word that means they were satisfied. Both of those together, what the idiom is trying to say is, is not only was there an overabundance of food, it says they ate till they had all they wanted. In other words, yeah, I'll take seconds of that. You, you got more? I'll take a third then. Are you sure? Uh, yeah. They pigged out like we're going to do in the back. They, they, they pigged out as much as they wanted, but then it said but they were satisfied. And the two of those together, what it's to me is just like the water it was turned to wine. Was it a sour wine that he made? Was it ordinary? Right. You know what this is trying to say? This, is, this tasted so good, being up there on the mountain, and that fresh air and sunshine and green grass, and the Lord teaching you, and then he blesses the food. It blessed them like nothing else they had ever ate. And they wanted more, and they wanted more. And they wanted more until they were not only full, but they were satisfied. It was the best stuff. I can tell you, on our 15th anniversary, we went on a, 
I, I took her for a cruise on one of those boats out there. And, and you can sit there and they hand you the menu and it's got stuff that you can't even pronounce. You know, all of these different steaks, whatchamacallits and stuff. And it's like, wow. <laughs> Tell you what country boy I am. You have all of them fancy foods and them fancy steaks and them fancy desserts. And I get home after the plane ride and driving home. And I go to the refrigerator. She's smiling and nodding because she knows what I'm going to say. I had some deer sausage. Some, some cheese deer sausage roll. And I cut off a couple of hunks of that and ate it. And I started doing that little dog on there that you give him a thing and he flies up in the air and woo, woo, woo. That was me. That deer sausage tasted better than any of them fancy steaks that was on that boat. That's what's happening right here with the Lord and the food that he's given. You know, the, the word of God, the, the real bread is more desirable. It's more filling. It's more satisfying than anything else that you're ever going to have in your life. And they wanted more and more. I pray that you keep coming back. I pray that you keep digging. I pray that you, when you begin unfolding all of these things of the word of God into your life. And you begin using them and taking them with you. And you begin to see him working them in your life. You want more and more. And that's the only way you're ever going to be satisfied. Nothing else is ever going to come close to it. After that, so after they've all ate until they were full, you know what the Lord said? He's still got to give them some more busy work, doesn't he? He said, I want you all to get uh, baskets, and what were they told to do? Gather up the scraps. The, the fragments there, the word means big chunks, usable. It wasn't crumbs. I mean, they weren't looking for every little speck and piece. It was the usable chunks. You remember how many baskets they gathered up how many disciples are there you think that was a coinky dink or not ain't no coinky dinks in the word of god is there there's only god winks not coinky dinks so that was a god wink reckon what you think the lord wanted them to know i can handle your situation you need to start trusting in me and not in your own viewpoint and I'm going to give you a basket full, you my followers, I'm going to give you a basket full of bread, the word, to take home with you tonight so that you will remember who and what is your Lord, your God, and your Savior, and who I am and what I can do for you and not what about you can. I got to give you a reminder. You're going to carry it down this mountain with you as we go. So he, he gives them the bread to symbolize the word of God and where their faith should have been in and so i'm hoping that all of you today from this story get to take home a basket of bread the word of god the doctrine that i don't need to trust in myself and my own abilities and what i can do but i need to lay everything at his feet and give it all to him and to trust in him so as our praise team returns and we get ready to worship the God some more in, in communion and, and prayer. How about you? I got some more doctrine to take home with me. I'm going to carry a basket because I'm guilty like they are of saying I ain't got enough money. 
I, I, everything I see is working against me. This is a hopeless situation, Lord, and I'm helpless. I, I need to learn. I got a basket full here of bread. Why don't I start using them? Put those prayers into motion from the word of God. I'm going to keep my mind stayed on you. And I'm going to trust in you. And I know then that all things are going to work together for my good. So I'm going to lay them at your feet because I know that you care about me. And you said to cast my burdens upon you. And then I'm going to give thanks in everything, good or bad, because your word says give thanks in everything. And I can work either one of them, good or bad, out for your good in the end. So if, if I start practicing those things out of my basket of promises that I take with me today, I'm going to be a whole lot better off. But I purposely skipped one verse for right now. One of the most important verses in here that shows the heart of our Lord. Now, go back, go back one. Yeah, I think it's verse 12. So when they were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain. Why? So that nothing is lost. That's the heart of our Lord. Isn't it? He says, I don't want anything to be lost. We don't serve a God that doesn't care whether you're saved or lost. We serve a God that says, go search out. I don't want anything to be lost. And how do I know that that's the heart of God? Because Peter was there. He was one of those ushers. He was one of those that carried that basket full of bread, that, that doctrine down the mountain. So now give me that next slide. And you know what Peter wrote later on whenever he got owed? The Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promises, as some people try to count it. But he's long-suffering to you and I. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Go search out the fragments. Make sure nothing is lost. So I pray that if you are here today and you have never named the Lord as, as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you do that today. Don't leave here and leave your fragment behind. The Lord is long-suffering. He's not willing for any to perish, but all to come in repentance to him. I pray that you will do that in all faith today. To those of us who have, have done that, I pray also that now we take a basket full of doctrine with us to apply to our lives as we come into those helpless and hopeless situations and those distressful times that we got an example of the Lord's grace and mercy and love for us that we can lean on. And Father, we humbly bow before Thee and we exalt Thee in Thy Word. We pray, Father, that Your Word was taught in spirit and in truth today and that our worship followed suit. Pray, Father, that You would anoint Your Word into all of those who have heard. I pray that it will be their basket that they carry with them forever. May we never try to only rely on self, but to rely on you and those promises you give us. For you love us, you cherish us, and you marvel when we have a faith like that. 
And we thank you for this example. We pray that it's magnified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.